Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. Let's give that hand clap to the Lord. He's surely worthy. He is worthy to be praised. What a delight it is to be here with you at Tower of Pentecost in Richland, Washington. Again, tonight, give honor to your pastor and Sister Knowles. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing God has given you in giving this couple to be your pastor. We love them. We've gotten to know them, of course, through... Brian and Janelle, but this is not our first time here. I appreciate Pastor's confidence in allowing me to stand here tonight, and uh, I'll trust that what I say tonight will be received in the spirit that it's given. I want to be an encourager tonight. Amen. And I, uh, I know there's a lot going on in our world right now. I was very tempted to start over in 1 Samuel, uh, there's a scripture that says, and there was war again, because <laughs> it does feel like sometimes we are in the midst of a war, and the reason it feels that way is because we are. Amen. But uh, I know the good news is the outcome of the war is already settled. We don't know what form or fashion the battle's going to take before it's all said and done. But the outcome is already settled. We know the Lord wins. Amen. I want to be on his side. So it is a delight to be with you tonight. And uh, I don't know what time you usually finish, but uh, 8 o'clock. I, I should be done by then. And uh, somebody said 10. <laughs> There's a young man in our church back home where I pastor. He always tells me to preach on. And his name is Caleb. I said, Caleb, thank you for that, but I don't want it to just be me and you, so I won't go to 10 tonight, but I do want to turn your attention to the scriptures tonight. I, I don't know what your custom is, but back home, we just always stand up when we read the word of the Lord, so if that's your custom, would you please stand with me, and we'll, I'm not going to keep you standing a long time, but I do want to say, before I read this scripture, how much I appreciate this church and what it means in the, not only in the, the whole area, but what it means in the life of my kids. It was so, such a joy for me to know that my son and daughter-in-law and now grandson have a great church to fellowship with, a place where the truth is preached, and where people love one another. I feel that love, that love that I feel towards my wife and I is just an outgrowth of the love that you have for Ryan and Janelle, and I give honor to this church tonight, to all of the leadership and every single person here, 
2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 2. I'm going to talk to you for a little while and just title this, What Are You Preaching? What Are You Preaching? Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 2, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. What are you preaching? It would help me immensely tonight as well if you'd just pray with me and for me and pray that the word of the Lord will have free course in this house tonight. Lord, thank you for your people that are gathered in this house. Thank you for Tower of Pentecost for this church what it means to the Tri-Cities area and the Washington State and the word of the work of God all around the world. Lord, we pray for your will to be done in this service tonight. We pray that your word would have free course. We thank you in advance. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Let me just start by telling you that preaching is not the strict domain of preachers or those that perhaps have the title reverend or pastor or evangelist or missionary or prophet or apostle or whatever that title might be. Preaching is not just for preachers. As a matter of fact, we all preach all the time. Sometimes we preach by the things that we say. Very often we preach by the things that we do. The way you treat the world at large makes a big difference in the message that they receive. So what are you preaching? Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. In this particular scripture, he tells him to preach it in three different veins. The first thing he says is reprove. Now, reprove has primarily the idea of a reprimand for not quite making the grade or not quite hitting the mark. And then he uses a little stronger word, which is rebuke. It's a little stronger than reprove. It has in mind a sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of a specific behavior or action. And I would submit very carefully tonight that that type of thing, reprove, reproof and rebuke, that probably should remain the domain of the pastor. That's not my job as a guest preacher. But the third one, he said, was exhort, which is to strongly encourage or urge someone or a group of people to do something or to have courage to, uh, to, to be lifted up. So that's the way I want to preach tonight. I want to be an encourager or an exhorter, and I would encourage you as children of God to let your preaching be not only with the way you live and the way you treat others and when you actually share the word of God. Let it be with encouragement and exhortation. The word of God is, is powerful. It, it will do the work when it's preached. He also told Timothy to preach with patience or with long-suffering, with patience and with doctrine. Doctrine is very important. Doctrine is sound teaching that is presented with absolute faith in what you are teaching. It does no good to preach or teach something that you really don't believe yourself. It does no good to toe the proverbial party line if the party line isn't really grounded in truth and it's not something that you 
absolutely believe yourself. So the things that I talk about tonight, I absolutely believe that they are profitable for the children of God, for the church of God, for people at large. I believe as a child of God, no matter what you consider your standing in God to be, it is vital for you to share the word of the Lord, or if I can just go ahead and say it, it's vital for you to preach the word. I believe everybody should preach a little bit every day. Just don't be preachy about it. And for goodness sake, don't be sanctimonious when you preach the word. Now, sanctimonious is just a fancy little word that means making a show of being morally superior to other people. You should never give the idea that you feel like you're better than somebody else when you preach the word because that is not really the intent of preaching the word, whether you do it with actions or whether you do it with actual speech. Preaching is meant to bring life, not death. It is meant to bring conviction, not condemnation. Can I tell you, if you come into the presence of somebody that is full of the presence of the Lord, that's full of the Holy Ghost, you should not feel condemned. You might feel convicted. Let me tell you what the difference between condemnation and conviction is. Condemnation gives you no room for improvement. You just feel like, well, I, I, I can't be any better. I can't be like them, so I, I just feel condemned. Condemnation is not where God operates. That's, the, that's where the devil operates. He's real good at condemning people. Conviction is where the Spirit of the Lord works, and conviction will actually move you to a place closer to God than you are right now. It says, you know what? If they can be different, maybe I can be different. Conviction will cause you not to pull away from God or pull away from the house of the Lord. It will actually cause you to pull closer to God. Preaching is meant to correct, not to coerce. It's meant to lift up, not to beat down. And it's meant to draw people in, not push them away. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, Paul makes a powerful statement about the Word of God. I love this verse. Probably is one of my favorites. It says, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That scripture, that verse tells us, first of all, that the Word of God is quick. Now, that doesn't mean that it moves fast. That just means it's alive. It is alive. Do you know you don't have to defend the Word of God? The, the Word of God is alive. It is, it's like a lion. If you set a lion loose, you don't have to defend him. He's perfectly capable of defending himself. And if you just set the word of the Lord loose, it will defend itself because it's alive. It's alive. You know, and the devil has always opposed the word of the Lord. His number one ploy has been to discredit and silence the word. Even today, there's a lot of noise in our world that's trying to silence the word of God. But make no mistake about it. The word of God 
will not be silenced if you will just simply allow it to work in your life. It does no good for me to preach the word of the Lord to you if I have not allowed the word of the Lord to work in my life. And it's, it's alive and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. In fact, it lays open your heart and diagnoses your condition with the precision of a surgeon's scalpel. In other words, it gets right to the point. And the Word will diagnose your spiritual health. You don't have to make a judgment about where somebody is in their life. All you have to do is share the Word with them, and the Word will find exactly where they are. You can't hide from the Word of the Lord. It's powerful. It's alive. And when it finds you, it can expose your doubts, your unbelief, and can demonstrate its power and its accuracy. The word of the Lord is vital for a current living faith in God. In James chapter number 5, James alludes to the prophet Elijah, and he says Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. Yet he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not for three and a half years. I read that scripture recently and I thought, I understand what being a man is. Or maybe if I could put it more in a more modern vernacular, I understand the human condition. That sort of pulls us all in, doesn't it? I understand what it is to be weak. I understand what it is to, to be fallible. I understand what it is to have doubts and misgivings. And James said, Elijah, this great prophet who prayed and fire fell from heaven, this prophet who prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He was a human being subject to like passions as I am. He was a human. So he was a man like me, if I can use that terminology. And, and he was a man like me and I really want to be a man like him. And, and the only thing that separates me from being a man like him is whether or not I pray. Because James was very emphatic about it. He said he prayed and it made all the difference. That's really what it's all about. So if you'll pray and get this word in you, it will do its work. And you can pray and God's word will have power when you share it with somebody. And it will go right to the point. You see, we submit ourselves to God's word. That's really what we're doing tonight. And, and I prayed earnestly that I would do a good job sharing the word, and again, Pastor Knowles, thank you for the opportunity uh, to stand in your pulpit and to minister, and, and I pray that, that I'll, I'll do a good job sharing the word, uh, because we come here on Wednesday night, and, and back home where I pastor, we call it Bible study, and, and we're submitting ourselves to the word. We don't do that just to gain intellectual knowledge or simply to learn Bible facts or to see how the minister that happens to be preaching shares the word, whether he does a good job or not. We literally submit ourselves to the word for the ministry of the word because that is where God meets us. He meets us right in his word and his Holy Spirit works powerfully through the word of God. And then the word, which is the logos, the settled word, can somehow become the rhema word, which is the right now word of God. It is amazing to me how powerful the word is when we can read a story from this book that happened thousands of years ago, and it can be so relevant to where we're living. What happens is the set 
settled, unchanging Word of God becomes a right now Word and somehow diagnoses where we are, finds us at the point of our need and reaches us and speaks to us and helps us. That's why we ought to preach the Word. What are you preaching? God meets us there and there is no doubt that that is why Paul encouraged Timothy to preach the Word. Make no mistake about it. God wants us to share His Word, and He also wants us to share the Word of what He has done for us. And He's working. Sometimes it's not clear while it's happening. It's only when you look back in retrospect and you see the hand of God. I remember when I met my wife, I was only... 16 years old, very close to my 17th birthday. I met her at Dairy Queen. A lot of folks would have thought that was just a chance happening. I, I was coming around in my 1964 Mercury Comet. It was about the uncoolest car at the time you could have. Mine wasn't a hot rod. It was an old four-door, six-cylinder, had an exhaust leak. And I pulled around her, and I saw her standing under the dry, coming out of the Dairy Queen under the apron, and the, those lights were shining, and she was glowing. And I just thought, she wants to know who I am. So I got out and introduced myself, and I could say, and the rest is kind of history. But that what seems like a chance meeting was really God intervening in my life, and He. He's brought me even all the way to here today because he decided I'm going to get involved in his life. I'm going to put somebody in his path that knows me and through no, him meeting her, he's going to find out who I am. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. She preached with her life because she was a good girl. I did my best to change that, but nothing I tried change that so I decided maybe instead of trying to change her to be like me maybe I need to be like her and in all of that God worked and moved and he brought me into relationship with him and it's been a wonderful thing can I tell you he can do the very same thing in your life if you'll just let him God wants us to share his word and he wants us to share the word about what he's done for us. I'll tell you, some people might argue with your theological point. They may argue with your doctrinal position, but they cannot argue with what God has done for you. They cannot argue if God's delivered you, he, he set you free, if he's done something marvelous in your life, you need to share that. What are you preaching? Are you telling people how good God has been to you? Are you telling people how many great things he's done in your life? Has he blessed you? Has he answered a need that nobody else can answer? Has he done something beyond what anybody else could do? You ought to tell somebody about it. Amen. And I, if I get started telling about the goodness of God in my own life, I, I won't get any further in my notes. But God's been good to me. I remember in 2009, I don't know why I feel like telling this, but I'm going to tell it. I've got my eyes on the clock. In 2009, we had just came back from serving in Africa on the mission field, and we were in Lufkin, Texas, getting ready for church on a Sunday morning. And I like to drink coffee. If you don't, I understand. I'll pray for you. But I was pouring myself a cup of coffee. 
And I sneezed. And I sneezed, and it hurt so bad that I hit the floor. I, I didn't think you could rupture a disc sneezing, but evidently it was pretty weak already. Not only did I rupture one disc, I herniated another. And instantly I was in agony. Well, if you've ever had that, you know medical science cannot really do much for that except surgery. For about two weeks, I was in agony, and I finally got an appointment to have an MRI, and I had an MRI, and it showed I had a ruptured disc and a herniated disc. And, and so I got an appointment with a, a surgeon, and the surgeon uh, appointment was coming up about a week later. So this is about two and a half weeks into it, three weeks into it, and on Sunday, about the third week, I had gone, I couldn't drive, I couldn't pick my arm up higher than that, I couldn't pick up my chin, I was just in agony, couldn't get any relief. Anybody's ever had that knows the kind of pain I'm talking about. Well, I decided, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to church this morning, and one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to carry me out in a stretcher, or God's going to heal me, because I cannot live like this. So I sat on the front row where I normally sat, and the, the praise team started singing. I just lifted my hands as high as I could get them. And pretty soon I could get them a little higher and then a little higher. And after a little while, I was just, next thing I know, I was dancing across the front of that church. And I walked out and I could do this and I could do this. And I've never yet had that surgery. I've kept my appointment with the neurosurgeon. He said, you'll be back. Well, that was 2009. I've not been back since. Can I tell you, God is good. If he can heal me, he can heal you. If you've got a need in your body tonight, I believe the Lord can just heal you. Amen. We need to tell the word of the Lord, and we need to tell the word of what God has done for us because he's done some great and mighty things. In Acts chapter 5, there's a story of a wonderful deliverance. The scripture tells us in verse number 17 that the high priest along with the Sadducees got really upset, and they threw the apostles in the common prison. They were upset because people everywhere were receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. They were, joint, they were becoming a part of the church. Great things were happening. And the, the high priest, verse 17 says, rose up and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Now, please don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. See, the Sadducees who locked the disciples up or the apostles up, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in a resurrection. So God says, You know what? I'm just going to send an angel to bust them out. So he sends an angel bust them out of prison. Their rescue was wonderful, but it was also for a purpose. They were rescued so that they could continue their work or continue to preach the word of the Lord. God did not set them free primarily for their safety or for their comfort. They were set free for a reason. Can I tell you tonight that you were set free from sin and shame for a reason? And if you want to fulfill that reason, you've got to find a way to preach the word. Now, you might not, you might not stand in the pulpit and preach, but you can preach every day of your life. The angel told him, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. When you speak the word of life to other people, 
it will have amazing results. You don't have to just preach it in the temple or in the church, but everywhere you go. In fact, if you read the rest of the chapter, verse 42 says, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. When you preach Christ, you are preaching the Word. John said in John chapter 1, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when you preach the Word, you're preaching Christ, and why not? Because we've already learned that the Word of God is quick. It's alive, and it's sharp. It gets to the point every time. And it tells us, in Hebrews 4, verse 12, that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When you understand that the Bible is not a collection of old stories, it's not a collection of myths, but it's a collection of true happenings and that it has life and power within it. You know, the preacher doesn't make the word come alive. It's actually the other way around. If the preacher has any life in him, it's because of the Word of God. The Word of God makes the preacher come alive, and it'll make you come alive too. And it will give life to the one who speaks it and to anyone who receives it with faith. Some people might wonder how a preacher's message, maybe a preacher they've never even met, could preach something that is so relevant in their life. Sometimes they wonder, has the pastor been talking to them? Do they have some inside information? But it's really not the preacher at all. It is the sharpness of the Word of God delivering the message to just the right place. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Remember this, the Word of God that reveals the truth about God will also reveal the truth about you. It will find you right where you are, and it will find those that you share it with. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, it tells us, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I like that scripture as well. Some folks think it's negative, but it's not. It's really very positive. In fact, all you have to do is think about it a little bit and say, well, if it's impossible to please God without faith, if I want to please God, the place that I start is with a little bit of faith. If I don't have enough faith or if I don't feel like I've got any faith, you know what, I can ask Him and He'll give me the measure of faith. In fact, you already have more faith than you realize. And if you've got enough faith simply to believe that God exists, you've got enough to get you started. You say, well, I don't know one thing about God. I don't know one thing about His Word. If you've got enough faith to just simply believe that there is a God and for goodness sake, who who could honestly say that they really, truly believe that there's not a God? Walk outside and just look around. You think all this happened by accident? I heard a story one time of a... I believe, if I've got the story correct, that in the Smithsonian, which is actually not one big museum, it's a collection of a lot of museums in Washington, D.C., there is a working model 
to scale of the solar system. Pretty impressive. You've got the sun and you've got all the planets that are going around the sun and moons. I don't know how detailed it is, but it's very impressive. And I heard the story that the, the guy that cleaned up the place was in there cleaning of the floor and there was one of the straggler that walked in. I, maybe it was after hours or early hours. And, and uh, this guy was quite noted for being an atheist. And he asked the guy that was mopping the floor, he said, who made this? This is, imp this is incredible. He said, nobody made it. We just showed up one morning and it was here. And the guy said, well, that's impossible. He said, well, isn't that what you guys say happened with the real solar system? It just, just happened? It doesn't take a lot of faith to understand that there's a God. I heard somebody say, just look at that baby. If you wonder whether there's a God or not. There are some things that happen that happen every day. The sun comes up. It goes, comes up in the east, goes down in the west. It does that in Louisiana, just like it does here in Washington. There are things that happen only God can do, and yet some people would dare to say there's not a God. They're fooling themselves. They're deceiving themselves. But if you've got just enough faith to believe that there is a God, then you've got enough to start on a journey toward Him. In fact, if you've got an interest in pleasing God, that scripture lets us know it is very possible to please Him. Now, some folks really don't want to please God. I can't really help you if you don't want to please God, but if you want to please God, this scripture is absolutely your, should become your favorite scripture. I want to be pleasing to God, don't you? I want to be pleasing to him. So how I'm going to do that, I'm going to start with faith, simply believing that he is and also believing that he is concerned enough to respond when I seek him. Can I just tell you, when you pray, he listens. When you talk to him, he's paying attention. So it's very possible to please him. You know, some folks can't see God. Because they're not looking for God. But what you see is often determined by where you stand and by what you're looking for. And if you're looking for God, He'll find you. You're in a circumstance that you can't get out of? No problem. You can't get out, God can get in. Just ask Daniel in the lion's den. They had him locked up. He couldn't get out. They made sure they had the stone over the cave, whatever it was. They threw him in that den, and he couldn't get out. But that's all right, because God could get in. So if you're in a circumstance that just you, you don't see any relief from, don't, don't despair. If you look for God, he's going to find you. Some folks never find God because they don't look for him. But if you can simply believe that he is and that he pays attention, then you will know that you can please him. Oh, my goodness. There's so many stories in the Bible. I, I can tell you now that I'm not going to get through with all of this. So many stories in the Bible that show us the character of God. You know, Jesus really showed us who God is. He was the express image of the invisible God. In John chapter 14, he told his disciples, you've seen me, 
You've seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? So if we want to know the character of God, all we have to do is look at the character of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Jesus went out of his way often to reach somebody that nobody else was interested in. John chapter 4 tells us the story of the woman at the well in Sychar of Samaria. And uh, she was a woman with a very checkered past. She'd had five husbands, and she was living with one that wasn't her husband. And I could go into all the, the details of why that made it really impossible for people to reach out to her. They, they didn't know maybe where to reach from. And then you also had the cultural taboos that were in place. A, a good Jewish man would not speak to a woman in public that was not his wife or his mother. But Jesus would step over all of that stuff to reach somebody that was looking for him. And she was really looking for him. When he asked her for a drink of water, she said, how is it that you being a Jew, it's verse number 9 of John chapter 10, how is it you being a Jew ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Not only was she a woman that wasn't his wife or his mother, she was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. He said, If you just ask me, you can have this living water. But there's, there's so much more in that story. Jesus stepped right over those cultural taboos to speak to this woman who was looking for him. She said, our she told him a little bit later in the chapter, she said, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And there was really, in that statement, there was sort of a question. And that question was, where can somebody like me find God? Because in, in, in Samaria, there was a form of worship that was very similar to Judaism. And they, they worshiped at Mount Gerizim. And, and they had a temple. And, and, and they claimed Abraham to be their father. But... Uh, nobody really wanted to worship with her because of her past and her story. And she knew if I could get to Jerusalem, I'm a Samaritan. I, I can't go in the temple. I, I, they're not going to let me in. Where, where do I find God? That's really what she was saying. And Jesus said to her, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. This is God manifest in the flesh. He, when you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And he's telling her, God, the Father's looking for somebody just like you to worship him. That ought to give all of us hope. It really doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter where we come from. Oh, what are you preaching? Are you letting people know no matter how messed up your life is, no matter how far from God you feel like you are, you can come to him if you'll just let them know there's a way to God and his name is Jesus Christ. So what are you preaching? See, I believe with all of my heart that everybody ought to preach a little bit every single day. Every single day. I'm trying to rush through this. I've got more than I can possibly preach. But if you will, if you will preach the word, get the word in your heart. I'm not I'm not telling you anything that's revolutionary. 
In fact, let me, let me try to bring this to a close. Somebody said, oh, preachers never die. They just lose their text and wander. But I'm really, I'm really not wandering yet, so maybe I'm not old yet. I'm not old yet, but I, I really believe that if you will just get the Word of God in you and share it, it'll make a difference in your world. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what I tell the church I pastor. Living for God is not complicated. It's really not. That's not always easy. I'm not going to tell you it'll be easy. But it's not complicated. If you'll come to church, come to the prayer room, come to prayer meeting, read this word, pray at home, you can live for God. Staying away from church is never the answer. Come to church. Get in the word. It's very simple. Pray. Seek God. And what will happen you'll find yourself most naturally fulfilling the exhortation that's found in Galatians chapter number 5, verse 16 and 17. Paul writes here, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. See, obviously, to walk in the Spirit, there must be a spiritual transaction that's taking place in your life. Consider that the kingdom of God is not natural. It is supernatural. In Romans, Paul writes, Romans 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. That's not natural things. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I know that that entire chapter was about a discourse about dietary things. Some folks were offended about what others were eating, and Paul cautions them to be careful not to allow their liberty to offend others, not to let your good be evil spoken of. I understand that. But he also makes sure that we understand that the kingdom of God is not about what we eat or natural things. It's about what God is doing inside of us. And it takes the Holy Spirit to do spiritually profitable things in our lives. So that's why it's important to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. It's important to, to, to repent, to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins and then to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's important. That's an, a spiritual transaction. And when that happens, it makes it possible for you to walk in the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Some folks read verse 17 and they see a negative connotation. Two more minutes. Stay with me two minutes. I promise I'm done. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. That means they're pulling you. The flesh wants something that the Spirit says no. The Spirit wants something the flesh says ah, no, I don't think so. These are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, let me put a positive spin on what some folks have made very negative. Some people will say, that scripture right there shows you why it's very hard for me to do the right thing. Because the flesh is pulling one way, and 
the Spirit's pulling the other. But actually, if you look at it properly, that should tell you that when you've got the Holy Ghost at work in your life, it becomes harder and harder for you to do the wrong thing. Oh, absolutely. When the Spirit pulls you away from those things that you might would have used to do. Thank God I'm not what I used to be. You say, well, uh, are, you, are you perfect yet? No, not yet. I'm, I'm trying, uh, but I'm not what I used to be. You know why? Because the Spirit is always pulling me away from those things that would destroy me. Always pulling me away from those things that my flesh might naturally do. I thank God for the moving of the Spirit. What are you preaching? Are you telling people it's absolutely possible for you to live free from sin if you'll allow the Spirit to have His way in your life? It's possible. So my exhortation to you tonight is uh, to ask you, what are you preaching? What are you telling people with your life? What are you telling people by the way you live? If you're having a hard time uh, sometimes doing the right thing, if you're having a hard time because of the struggle, you should not feel like you're by yourself. But the key to winning the battle is to allow the Spirit to have its way. And to allow the Spirit to have its way, you've got to get in the Word. I really think that's what Paul meant when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest I, after having preached to others, should myself become a castaway. You know what he was saying? I'm bringing myself back to that place of being a living sacrifice. And I don't know how to actually put it into words in a way that makes sense, but let me try. Being a living sacrifice is about the most wonderful way you could possibly live. I know, I know sacrifice has that connotation of giving up of something or uh, turning loose of something. But when you are a living sacrifice, like Paul admonished us to be in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I want you to understand what that's saying to us. God's not forcing you to do it. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. When you do it because you want to be pleasing to Him, it's not a burden anymore. In fact, it becomes a joy and it becomes a wonderful way to live. I feel the presence of the Lord drawing us in this place. What are you preaching? What are you letting people know? Are you letting them know it's possible? Let this preacher tell you. It's possible for you to please him. It's possible for you to be that living sacrifice. Every now and then you might have to get under your body and pull it back down and say, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to be a living sacrifice. You're going to live as unto the Lord. Would you just lift your hands with me tonight as Pastor Knowles comes? Oh, I want to preach with my life. I want to preach a message that brings life to others. Thank you, and God bless you tonight.